Good morning. Once again, as we say, we're here to worship the God of heaven. And I might add to everyone else's, we are glad to have the Madam Vice President back with us this morning. It is good to see you <laughs> in that respect. This morning we want to look at a one verse of Scripture and we will build upon it this morning. It is found in the 27th chapter of Matthew and it is verse 29. And when they had twisted a crown of thorn, uh, twisted a crown out of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him, mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. As we know, this one verse is just one as we look at the scenes of that mockery. We would say during the night prior to being carried out the crucifixion on the next morning. It's just one of the several things that happened during that night between being beaten and, as we said, this and the mockery trials that he went through throughout the night till the next morning when they made their way to the hill called Calvary. Through the years, especially back in a time when it was a little more safe to travel to Israel than it is nowadays, I've, I've heard several different ones who went over where the preachers are just, you know, Christians who wanted to make the trip, as they call it, the trip of a lifetime. When they came back, back in those days we had slides. We didn't have all this modern stuff, and if you remember, they would show pictures of where they have been throughout the area of Israel, the different sites and so forth that they would visit. And then they would all basically say the same thing about this hill that is called Calvary. They would begin by telling us that they were not prepared for what they saw when they went upon this hill, this place that was known as a place of crucifixion of thieves and criminals. Most everyone said they assumed it would be like a little garden spot, that it would look have trails and flowers and that sort of thing because they thought of being as what it represented, this would what people would do, that it would be a beautiful place, uh, but it's not. As most describe it, it is hideous, it is rocky, and it is simply just a dirt-filled place. That's all they could describe it. They said there was litter everywhere. There was old-growth trees growing around and on top of it. Muslim graves were littered everywhere. And most of them said they thought at least there'd be some flowers or something growing up there, but there was none of those things. All they found was these long, hideous thorn bushes that were everywhere on the top of Mount Calvary. It makes you wonder then if that, if that is the case. That, that no doubt may be the very same thorn bushes they may have used when they wrap this crown of thorn around the head of our Savior. As we look at this morning, it is not mere chance that that crown was placed upon His head. There was some reasons behind it. And we'll look at them this morning. We begin with the fact, the material of the crown, as it says, it was a crown made of thorns which we would look at for a moment would be the perfect thing to crown his head with because of what thorns and thistles represent to mankind. In Genesis 3 and verse 18, there the Moses wrote, But thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. 
That was a direct quote from God at the time after Adam and Eve had sinned. God had drove them out of the garden and says, you will earn your living, you will feed yourself by the sweat of your brow and toiling off the face of the earth. But as a reminder of the fact of what you have done, as a reminder of bringing sin in the world, along with the good crops that you will use and eat, among them will be thorns and thistles as a direct result of what happened. So when we look at the thorns and the thistles, no matter where we're looking in any field, and that we walk through, even when we try to prepare to make a field to plow and to plant with, it reminds us because we suffer every day because sin is in this old world. We talked about it earlier this morning in the class, and it is still true. There's not a single person on the face of the earth that does not know what suffering is. Somewhere along the line, everyone has suffered, or if they haven't yet, they will. As an old preacher friend of mine used to say years ago, if the hearse hasn't come to your door yet, it will. If you haven't suffered just yet, you will. In other words, it is just simply a part of life. It is because of what we've done to ourselves, the sin we brought upon the life, the problems, the tribulations that are associated with everything that comes along with sin, we've brought it upon ourselves. Every time we suffer, every time we go through a pain or a heartache of anything, it is because of sin. And when we think about it, as we said in class, well, what's the first thing most people tend to do when something goes wrong in their life? The first thing out of the mouth is it's someone else's fault and most time or not it's God's fault. Why did you do this to me? Why are you causing me to suffer? Why are you taking this love away from me? Why did you let them die? There's no reason for it. It's always God's fault. That's what we do. But what do we need to learn? We don't need to bow our head and get mad at God. We need to be getting angry with Satan. That's who we should be angry with. Because He's the one who's played the trick on us. He's the one who has convinced us that everything that's wrong in this old world is God's fault. That God who created all things good in the beginning, how dare a God that's supposedly supposed to be so good allow evil in this old world? We tend to forget in Matthew 13 in the parable of the soil, what do we learn? Who sold, who sold the, the enemy that sowed the tares among the good in that parable? Satan. He's the one who sowed them. He's the one who created the thorns and the thistles to bring sin as well as a reminder thereof. So no wonder when we think of thorns and thistles, they are the symbol of the curse of sin, so it is appropriate that our Savior was crowned with a crown of thorns because we know He was made a curse for us. Is that what Paul said in Galatians 3 and 13? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed everyone who hangs on a tree. Or 1 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He has made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of of God in Him. But notice what Paul said in Galatians 3. He became a curse for us. He took our place. He wore that crown that deserved belongs upon our heads and the blood coming from it belongs to us. He said, I'll wear it. 
I'll bear it. I'll stand in your place. I'll die for you. So there's a reason for the crown. We've got to look at next of all in that series, the making of that crown. It says, when they had twisted a crown out of thorns. Notice then that it says they, that it was a collective effort. It wasn't just one person who did this. It was several people involved in making that crown of thorns. So we must ask ourselves, who was it? Who made the crown? Or we could add it to another question is this, who crucified the Son of God? That would answer the question. The Roman soldiers had a part, didn't they? Are they not the one who hauled him out of, uh, out of uh, Pilate's praetorium? Are they not the one who led him down the, is he called the Street of Roses to the hill of Calvary? Are they not the one who beat him to make it, make him and the others move along to get up there quicker so they could get it over with? Are they not the ones who drove the nails in his hands? Yes. They had a part in twisting that crown of thorns. You can ask, well, is there someone else? Yes. The Jews had their part. Who was the one screaming the loudest, crucify him, crucify him in the halls of Pilate? When the Gentile world, it was the Jews who crucified him. They didn't want him. He wasn't what they decided to be a Messiah. He was a blasphemer. He wasn't everything. They wanted somebody on a great white horse to deliver him from Rome. And he didn't do that. So they were involved. They were the ones who shouted, crucify him. Pilate had a part. Could Pilate have stopped this? Yes. But he didn't, did he? He bowed to the pressures of the Jewish people, washed his hands and says, here he is, do whatever you want to. I'm free of the innocent blood of this man. So you see, they all had a part in it. But, the Bible says though, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. So you see that it's us that really are the ones who wove the crown. It is us who placed upon His head. It is our fingers involved in this. It is a real sense our responsibility because we slapped Him in the face. We sped upon His face because of the sin that we brought into this old world. Our sins were the nails and our hard hearts were the hammers that drove the nails into that cross on that day. Yes, we are the ones who really wove that crown of thorns. The misery. After placing it upon his head, and let's just put it this way, they didn't do it gently. It said they struck him on the head with a reed. Which simply looks at it this way. They, they rammed it upon his head, which cut his face and his head all to pieces. And then to add insult to injury was take the reed and hit it, which means it drive it just that much more further down. Little by little, as it cut and dug into his skin, and the blood was pouring from his face. In other words, it wasn't enough to ram it on his head. It was more fun to just keep driving it more and more and more further down. Every, every time it moved, every time it cut an open wound, there was more blood pouring and more blood mixed with the spittle of the soldiers that poured upon him. Isaiah 52 and 14, what we sometimes call the fifth gospel. In those few verses, it sums up the life of Christ. 
It said there that his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. That simply means this. That if you saw him, you would not be able to recognize him. That is what is meant. You wouldn't recognize him. At times we've seen through the years as people have made movies of the crucifixion of Christ, you will notice that the Roman soldiers take him and they beat him a few times. And his back's a little red and then they drag him out across in the scene going to Golgotha. And you don't look like he's hurt real bad. But the Bible tells us you didn't recognize him. His back was ripped to shreds, so was his front. His head is ripped to pieces from the thorns. So the Bible's right. You couldn't recognize him. That's the misery of it. That is how we only can imagine for a moment what it was like to have that rammed on your head and then someone take it like a reed or something hard enough to keep pushing it further and further down upon your head. But you see, he knew all this was coming. He already knew that it was coming. Because sometimes it makes you wonder as a lad as he walked by these thorny bushes if that didn't already cross his mind. Or what would happen some years later in the city of Jerusalem. Not only did they make the misery of it by ramming upon his head, it's the mockery. It said they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him in verse 28-29 of Matthew 27. And when they had twisted a crown out of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They ridiculed him. The soldiers is obvious, quite knowledgeable of fact of who he is. And what they've heard as he has made his way up and down from Judea through Samaria up into Galilee back and forth in his time of ministry upon the face of the earth. They've no doubt some of them have heard him. They no doubt may have seen the miracles. They've also heard what everybody else was saying about him as he passed through the countryside where they may have been. And so they've already aware of what they've heard about him. And so when they ridicule him, they ridicule him. And look, here, here's the man who claims to be the king of the Jews. Oh, let's bow before him. Let's pay him great homage. Let's enjoy the moment while we can. You can imagine the fun they had at the moment at had expense as they mocked him and called him everything. You claim to be a king and so forth. Even on the cross, you remember the Jewish leader said, if he's supposed who he claims to be, let him come down from the cross. You know, those sort of things, that mockery that filled him. Dying for people who didn't care that he was dying that day. People who didn't care that they'd ram that throne. They don't care he's a bloody pup. They just don't care they're having their fun in their moment in time. But let's ask this question. Has the mockery ever stopped? Has the mockery ever stopped? It only happened that night and it never happened again? (laughs) No, 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 no. The mockery has been going on all through the centuries. It has never stopped. It has never stopped. 
we see it now. Today it seems like more than ever before. When we look at the fact that religion is made fun of, it's laughed at, it is looked upon as being just something that we have to tolerate, and if many could do away with it completely, they would. Because it interferes with what they want to do. They mock it. They make fun of it. They belittle it. Everything you can think of under the sun. Because they want to do away with it. Because they are afraid of it. They're afraid of it. Jesus becomes, as we know, the butt of jokes. His name is used as a byword for a lot of people. When things go wrong, they scream out His name. The holy things, that which pertains to His church and to us and His people, are laughed and made fun of. We're mocked because we want to stand for the truth of God. In a time when people says, we don't need that. It does make you wonder sometimes how far a nation is from destruction when you begin to notice what it's laughing at and what it thinks is funny. That really makes a sad note to a country. We've also realized when we look at it, what we call the meaning of the cross, we looked at it a moment ago, we'll look at it a little more for a moment. Why was he crowned with the crown of thorns? He bore the crown because he bore the curse. He took our place. We are the ones who are to die. We are the ones who have to pay the penalty because we are the ones who sinned and transgressed and stepped away from God's law. That is placed upon our heads. So it becomes almost impossible to really put into words that even adequately comes close to describing the love of God to say unto humankind, the man He created, the crown glory of His creation, and says to Him after His sins, the place of curse of death is upon your head, but I love you. And because I love you, I'll take your place. I'll die for you. We can't even begin to phantom that completely. It's hard to grasp what is being said here that God so graphically showed us that curse and says, I'm willing to bear it. I'm willing to die for you. Can you imagine what's being said? God of heaven who created us says, I'll die. God says, I'll die for you. Well, we can't even begin to understand that. So when we ask ourselves, what does this cross the thorn, I mean, this crown of thorns really means? It means that simply that we, we deserve the curse. We should wear the crown. But God in His love and His mercy took the curse from my head and allowed it to be placed upon the head of the Son of God. He took our place so we wouldn't have to die. The message of that crown is this. First of all, it is a crown of beauty. Now someone says, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. It's not a crown of beauty. It's a hideous looking thing with thorns in it, tore up his head, and, you know, and you just can't understand it's not that beautiful. How could you say it's beautiful? 
because our Lord was willing to wear it. We, us, have the opportunity to wear a crown that is indescribable because of that. Do we understand that? The crown of the Queen of England is a beautiful crown. It is worth millions of dollars with all the jewels that are within it. But you know what? Compared to that crown of thorns, it's ugly. It is ugly. Our Savior born that we can wear a crown that is worth more than we can ever possibly imagine. That's his message. But also, you know, is it a crown of beauty? It is a crown of simply victory. It's a crown of victory. Jesus freed us from the curse. Jesus is able to give us the victory. We have an old hymn we sing, do we not? It talks about victory in Jesus. And this is what we're talking about. It is a crown of victory. All the toils and labors of this old world that we face every day, all the trials and temptations, all the problems, all the disappointments, all the ups and downs, will be worth every penny if we live faithful to Him all the days of our life and hear from Him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then we will have be honored to wear that crown of victory. The crown that John the Savior describes in Revelation that those saints who threw them before the throne of God, not because they didn't want them, because they realized... God, this really belongs to you. You gave them to us. It belongs to you for what you've done for us. This morning, if you're not a child of God, this is the day. Everything is ready. As we always said, everything is always ready for you. Simply come, repenting of the way you've been living. Christ tells us, unless we repent, we'll all likewise perish. We have to change our lives and give up the past life of sin. We have to come confessing that He is the Christ, that He is the Son of the living God, that He died for us from the heart that from up here, we confess the fact that He is, because the faith that which is developed through the Word has led us to that point that we know that He is the Son of God and willing to confess that. And be buried as we told from Acts 2.38 through the rest of the book of Acts and the epistles to be buried in baptism and raised to walk that new life that Paul describes in Romans 6. That crown did that for you. That crown will give you that victory once you become a child of God. But this morning, if you are a child of God who strayed from that truth, who has been faithful but have drifted away, fallen away, yielded to temptation, let sin begin to dominate your life, you're no longer walking as you should as a child of God, that crown of thorns is there for you as well. It saved you, come back home. Ask God to forgive you those things. He's promised you that He will. He's promised you that He'll forgive because the blood of Christ will remove those things, those sins from your life as His child. And forevermore, not only forgive, but forget those things. Think of that while together we stand and while we sing.